14:22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Now, verse 24. I, by the way, I've got the word evening underlined there in my Bible just to try to help uh, keep track of the time frame here. Uh, evening would have been 6 o'clock-ish in the, in the evening. Uh, verse 24. Uh, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And then the Bible says in verse 25, And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Now let me just stop right there for just a quick minute here and make this comment. Um, this might help you to scribble this down if you don't mind writing in your Bible. Um, the fourth watch of the night is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. From 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now, I'll just tell you this, folks. Anything that happens out of the ordinary at 3 a.m. scares me out of my mind. Anybody here with me tonight? Okay, listen, if you're awake at 3 a.m. and you hear the floor creak in your house, doesn't that just give you the eebie-jeebies? How many of you know what eebie-jeebies are? That's the willies. Right? Okay? Okay. Um, Anything. But now here, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Uh, is the, the fourth watch of the night. Now, I mentioned back in verse number 23 that when evening was come, he was there in the mountain alone while they were out on the ship. So evening, so somewhere between 6 and 9 p.m., um, they, they went out. And then somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. is when Jesus came to rescue. So I'm saying that to say this. They were out in a really bad storm for a really long time. Okay? Uh, have any of you ever been on a boat in stormy waters? Okay? Alright? Several hands. Okay? I can't say I've really been on stormy waters, but uh, I did have a friend that took me fishing on the Chesapeake Bay one time. And um, out on the Chesapeake Bay, uh, they uh, have anybody here ever eaten a rockfish? Yeah, rockfish is in the bass family, but they usually grow about that long, okay? And uh, they're they're really fun to catch, and they are just absolutely delicious. And so I was out there rock fishing with a, a buddy of mine out in the Chesapeake Bay, and um, uh, the the boat was just kind of up and down and up and down and up and down. And I can handle that just fine for about 15 seconds. After that, I turn yellow, and then I turn green, and then I turn blue, and then I turn purple, and then at some point after that, I turn plaid. Okay? Alright? So, here, somewhere between 9 o'clock at night, uh, maybe as early as 6, and somewhere between, and then until 3 in the morning, maybe as late as 6, they had just been up and down and up and down. And it was nothing like what I experienced out there fishing that day. It was a storm. They were scared out of their minds. Okay, now let me, let me keep on reading here. All right, verse number 26. It says, And when the disciples um, saw him... I'm sorry, I, I didn't read verse 25, did I? I'll go ahead and read verse 25 again. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Okay, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, 
It is I, be not afraid. Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Now, let me give you a little side note here, okay? This is really, really interesting. Uh, if you like to study Greek words, the words be of good cheer, it's the Greek word, all that is one Greek word, tharseo, and it just literally means cheer up. Okay? It literally means just cheer up. And the only person to have ever said that word in the Bible was Jesus. He's the only person ever uh, that said tharseo, in the Bible. And one of the times he said it was when he appeared to Paul in jail later on, even after his resurrection and ascension into heaven. Tharseo. So there he is in the middle of a storm, and he, and he sees these fellas, seasick, nauseous, scared, nervous, fearing for their life, and he says, cheer up. <laughs> cheer up. What would you have said back? Easier said than done. I don't know what we would have said um, back to that. But let me read on here, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He might have just been saying, get me out of this boat. I don't know if that's what it was or not. But verse 29, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now let me just stop right here and make one more comment about this and then we'll pray and get the sermon started. If he looked at Peter, who just walked on the water but sank, and said, O thou of little faith, what did that make the other 11 guys in the boat? O thou of no faith. Have any of you ever had experiences in your life where you felt like you had little faith? Three of you? Okay. We've all had times where we had little faith, but I just want to commend you tonight. It's better to have little faith than it is to have no faith. Okay? I think everybody's had times when your faith was small. Everybody's had times when your faith is weak, but praise God you had faith. Okay? Peter, his little faith, maybe you could say the size of a grain of mustard seed possibly, enabled him to do something that to our knowledge nobody but Jesus ever did. I think that's pretty amazing. Well, let's pray together, and then the title of the sermon tonight is Doing Things You Think You Can't Do. Doing Things You Think You Can't Do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray you'll help me tonight. I pray, God, that you'll empower these thoughts. And Lord, we, um, Lord, I, I think I can probably speak for everybody in this room. We've probably heard this story so many times. We probably know it pretty well. But probably none of us have gotten tired of this. It's just a great, great story. And God, I pray that these little applications that um, you've laid upon my heart would, would inspire these church members to stretch their service for you, to try to step out and do some things that maybe they are afraid to do, to, to swallow their fear and, and uh, go ahead and, and, and step into some dark areas, into some scary areas. And Lord, I pray that you'll use these few moments we spend together tonight in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, probably there is somebody here at White Oak Baptist Church tonight that 
you might not say this out loud, but you might say it inside of your brain, I will never take the Soul Winners Club. <laughs> it's just not who I am. I, I'm scared. You know, I'm glad somebody's doing it. I'm glad the church has it. But I am not doing that. I can't do that. Now, there might be somebody else here tonight that might say, you know what, I'm glad that I go to a church that has a visitation program. I'm really glad. I think it's wonderful. I commend those that can muster up the nerve to go out there and do that, and I appreciate it, I respect it, but I can't do that. There's just no way. I just can't. There might be somebody here tonight that would say, you know what, I... Uh, I, I, I'm so happy that I go to a church that has the bus ministry. So happy that I go to a church that has the bus ministry. I, I love the bus ministry. And when I see those children coming in, I, I just thank God that um, we don't know what darkness they're exposed to in their life. The other 165 plus hours a week that they have, but the three or so hours that we have them, I'm... I'm glad that, that we do that here at our church. I'm thrilled that we do that here at our church. And, and you know, way back in the 70s, it seemed like every church had a bus ministry. And every town would have a... And you go into every neighborhood on a Sunday morning, and here's a red bus driving that way, and a blue bus driving that way, and a green bus driving that way, and a yellow bus this way, and a white bus that way. And just, just churches, all, church, all bunch of kind of churches had buses everywhere, picking up children and bringing them to Sunday school. And you might say, well, I'm so glad that even now in 2017, our church does that. I'm thrilled that we do that, but I'm not doing it. There's no way. <laughs> I don't even like kids. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm scared of them. And, you know, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm pretty sure I could probably defend myself against one of them, but what if they all ganged up on me for crying out loud, you know? Can't be having that, and that, that would just not be good. And they, You know, and what if one of them smells funny, or... You know, or what if one of them gets my dress dirty? Or what if, what if one of them, you know, rubs his dirty hand, you know, with chocolate on it on my white shirt? What, what would I do? I, I don't know if I could survive this or not. I'm glad we do it, but I'm, I'm not doing that. I wonder if there's somebody here in the church that says, you know, I, uh, I'm glad that we have a choir in our church, and I think it's really neat that we do. And, and by the way, if you sing in the choir, whoo, my goodness, last night was so, both of them yesterday were so good. But the volume yesterday, that, uh, honestly, if I hadn't turned around and looked, I'd have thought there's 50 of you up there. That was really good. And there might be somebody else sitting out there saying, you know, I'm really glad we have a choir. And they're really doing a good job. And it, but I can't do that. I can't. I'm, there's no way I'm not going to do that. I'm glad I go to a church that just bought some new buses. And Pastor Lejeune shared with me the story of, of how you raised the money for those. Wow! Wow! Good job, White Oak. Amen? Now you got to have somebody drive them. <laughs> you might say, I can't get a CDL. There's no way I can get a CDL. I can't drive that. I could never drive that. Don't even ask. You might say, I can't drive that. I'm a lady. As if that matters. Ladies can drive buses. So I can't drive that. I, I I got 
something else I got to do. <laughs> so I don't know if I could tie myself down to it every Sunday. Can I just throw this out at you? If you go get your CDL and you talk a friend into getting their CDL, why don't you alternate? That'll work, you know. Honestly, the majority of the drivers of the buses in our church don't drive it every Sunday. We have people that rotate and go in and out, and people just, for whatever reason, can't do it every week, or some can drive to church while somebody else drives them home, or vice versa. And, you know, but you might say, Pat, I can't, I can't get a CDL. I can't drive something that long. I would run over everybody's flower beds. I would just say they don't really need those flowers anyhow. Can I just say to you tonight that you can do things you don't think you can do if you have a little faith. You can do things, believe it or not. Now, Pastor Lejeune talks about me as being kind of his pastor because he worked for me for a while. And the man that I worked for, that I looked to, was Pastor Norris Belcher in Westminster, Maryland. I worked for him for seven years and he was a real mentor to me and Pastor Belcher told a story. He said that um, he preached a sermon one night about witnessing and sharing the gospel. And, and he said that a lady came up to him one night. And if I remember the story right, I think her name was Sally. And, and, um, and Sally said, Pastor Norris, I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But I am scared to death to talk to people. I can't talk to people. I can't, I, I, I can't start a conversation with people. There is absolutely no way I could ever do that. I can't do that. And Pastor Norris looked at her and said, Sally, you sell Avon. How do you sell Avon if you can't talk to people? Y'all know about, do you know what Avon is? Okay, alright. How do you do that? You can do it. I'm telling you that you, there are things that you think you can't do, but you probably can do. Now, listen close. I'm going to say this quick and then I'm going to get into my six point outline tonight, okay? Maybe it's a fear of people. Maybe you're scared of people. Maybe you're afraid of what people are going to say, think, or do if you step in and do something that's uncomfortable. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Can I tell you this? Everybody who has ever done anything secularly or religiously has failed. Everybody has. Okay? I have had sermons that I have preached that I, when I'm done, I walk back to my office and I say, that went over like a pregnant pigeon. You know? I mean, seriously. I have bombed. I have preached duds. But I'm not going to just say, I'm not going to preach just because I, I, I lay an egg every now and then. Some people, maybe they don't do whatever because they're afraid of people. Maybe they're afraid of failure. Some people are afraid of attention. They're just scared of attention. I don't want anybody to look at me. You know, just kind of hide. You know, I don't want anybody to see me. I'm just shy. Just a little backwards. And, you know, and so I, I can't do that because I get nervous if somebody just looks at me. You know, if somebody says hello to me, I just want to cower. And uh, I'm afraid of attention. Can I give you one that I think is more prominent than I think any of us would admit? I think that we are afraid of being judged. I think we are. Because when you kind of put yourself out there, you know, you're kind of in the spotlight and, and we're just scared that people are going to really start to scrutinize us and it makes us nervous, it makes us afraid. And what I would say to you is this, whatever you are afraid of, 
Whatever you're afraid of, it cannot be any worse than a storm in the middle of the sea with many, many, many feet of water beneath your feet. It can't be any scarier than that. So why don't we do this? Why don't we swallow our fear? Maybe we don't swallow our fear because it's a lack of motivation. We just don't have enough inside us to stir us and move us to want to do things. Maybe it's a lack of commitment to our church. Maybe it's a lack of zeal. Maybe it's a lack of love for Jesus. Maybe it's a lack of love for souls. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it is, the sermon tonight is just simply this, that you can do things you don't think you can do. So let me give you six thoughts about this tonight. Number one, if you're a note taker, write this down. Excitement over Jesus has to be greater than our fear of drowning. Excitement over Jesus has to be greater than our fear of drowning. Now, here's Peter there on the edge of the boat. And and he's been up and down all night long. He's nauseous. He's sick. He's worried. He's frustrated. He's probably just a bundle of nerves. He's probably absolutely exhausted. And he sees right at the edge of where he stands is death. If my feet go there, I die. But just beyond there is Jesus. So what you have is you have excitement in seeing Jesus, but you have fear of death, fear of drowning. But his excitement over getting to Jesus was greater than his fear of drowning. Pause and let that soak in tonight. All night long, he's been thinking, if Jesus was here, he could fix this. If Jesus was here, He could calm these waters. If Jesus was here, He could pick up this boat out of the water and just let it be still. If Jesus was just here, everything would be fine. And then boom, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4, 5, 6, whenever it was, there He is. And so His excitement about Jesus was greater than His fear of drowning. Anybody here afraid of drowning? God won't let me choose my way of death. But if He did... I would say, don't let me burn. I don't want to do that, okay? And he'd say, okay. Alright, then I'd say, don't let me drown. <laughs> okay? That would be number two on my list of ways I do not want to go, okay? But his excitement about Jesus was greater than his fear of drowning. And what I would say to you is this, whatever fear you have about driving a bus, or whatever fear you have about visitation, or whatever fear you have about singing in the choir, whatever fear you have about any of these things I mentioned, or beyond that, you've got to get more excited about Jesus than you are your fear of doing those things. Does that make sense? Can you say amen? Alright, let me give you number two. Second thing I'd like you to see tonight is this, complaining about the boat and storm do no good. Complaining about the boat and the storm do no good. Alright, I can just see the disciples right now. There they are, up and down, up and down, up and down, all night long, nauseous. And I can just see James looking at John and saying, this stinks. And the boat gets calm because he complained. Right? I can just see this disciple looking at this disciple and saying, this is really not working out very well. And because he complained, everything got better all of a sudden. Right? One of them puts out a gripe. Listen, you think they were griping all night? I'm sure they were griping and complaining all night long. Okay? Most likely. If they were anything like 
Me. <laughs> They'd have been complaining all night long. But let me just say that complaining about the storm doesn't stop the storm. Complaining about the boat doesn't fix the boat. Complaining about your job doesn't fix your job. Complaining about your marriage doesn't fix your marriage. Complaining about your church doesn't fix your church. And so, here they are, up and down. All the griping in the world is not going to make their circumstance any better. Now listen carefully. Please listen carefully to this. You have got to learn to be a man or a woman of action, not a man or a woman of words. Okay? Pointing out the obvious. There's a storm. (laughs) Well, hello. (laughs) Aren't you a genius? I'm getting sick. Well, of course you are. I got motion sickness. I'm afraid we're going to die. I don't know if we're going to survive this. We're all going to sink. God has forsaken us. God has lost track. God is not able. We could come up with a hundred complaints they could have thrown out that would have all been legitimate, but none of the complaining fixes the problems. None of the complaining. So yeah, did they have legitimate problems? Yes, they did. But you can complain and complain and complain and complain. That doesn't fix the boat. That doesn't fix the storm. Number three. Number three. The only thing holding you back is you. The only thing holding you back is you. Pastor King, if I had more money, I would really serve the Lord. So many people in this world, Christians around the globe, are serving God with less money than you have. Pastor King, if I had better health, I would really get involved. Now, would you? Way back when you had better health, did you really get involved? Years ago when you felt better? When your back didn't hurt, when your knees didn't hurt, when your head didn't hurt, did, did you do more then? I, um, I remember a story of um, a woman in a church down in Florida. She, um, she was in a wheelchair. She couldn't stand. She couldn't walk. She wheeled her wheelchair down the aisle one Sunday and told the pastor, she said, she said God's calling me to take a bus route. The pastor looked at her and he thought, well, this will, uh, I don't know how this is going to work. And he said, well, you know, ma'am, when, whenever um, a, a bus route becomes available, you know, I'll, I'll let you know. And I thought, okay, just brush her off because you can't do that. And next Sunday down the aisle she came and, and um, pastor, I'm just, just letting you know once again, I'm surrendering to, to work on a bus route. And pastor, as soon as we have one open and available, I'll let you know. Sunday after Sunday down the aisle she came and, then one Sunday she came down the aisle in her wheelchair and she said, Pastor, she said, um, I heard one of our bus captains is moving out of state. And you've been telling me for weeks now that as soon as one came available, you let me do it. And he was stuck. He was cornered. So he, he helped get her arranged with the, the route and got the route book and bus route picked up 15, 18, 20 kids on a normal Sunday and, and um, he thought, I don't know how it's going to work, but I don't know how to get out of this. And so he gave her the bus route, and she would wheel her wheelchair down the sidewalk, and she would wheel up to the side of the house, couldn't get up on the porch, but next to the house, and 
smack on the side of the house and wheel her chair back there and wait for somebody to come out. They come out, wouldn't see anybody, and she said, "Hey, I'm down here." And, oh, hey, yeah, what can I do for you? Say, you have children? And, uh, yes, I have three kids. Well, um, I'm bringing a bus by tomorrow. Can they come to church with me? Sure. <laughs> Go to the next house. And she would do that all day on Saturday. Now this is uh, back in the days when we used to brag about putting 100 kids on a 48-passenger bus. Remember those days? That's illegal and you go to jail for that thing nowadays. But back in those days, people get all excited about doing that. In a matter of less than two months, she had 100 children on that bus. So how did she get on the bus? She would wheel up next to the bus. Some of the kids and helpers would pick her up out of her chair, put her there in the front seat, put the chair next to it, lock down the wheels, and off they'd go. Ran that bus route for years. Could not stand up. Could not take a step. Could get done in an entire day. Well, you could get done in an hour and a half or two hours. But she was committed to it. She was committed to it. She had a burden for it, and her love for Jesus was greater than her fear of drowning. I'm just saying, the only thing holding us back is us. When Peter was standing on the edge of the boat, you didn't see James saying, Peter, don't, don't go out there and do that. This is foolish. You didn't see John saying, Peter, listen, I know you're a little impulsive, Peter. <laughs> okay, But Peter, you really don't need it. They weren't holding him back. Who was holding Peter back? Peter was holding Peter back until Peter finally said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? We hold ourselves back. Number four. Number four. I told you it's going to be simple tonight, didn't I? How many of you can appreciate a simple message on a Monday night? Okay, all right, here we go. Number four, you never know till you try. <laughs> you never know till you try. How many of you have children? How many of you ever said those words to your children? So should you be bothered that a preacher is saying it to you? No. Sitting around the dinner table, big old plate mounded with spinach. Your kid looks at it like, Ugh. and what do you say? You never know till you try. You never know till you try. Um, I can say this: you may try something in the church, and it really might not be your fit. But I don't think I would come to that conclusion on week number one. Because if you come to that conclusion on week number one, did you really try? Did you really try? Or did you just try enough to say you tried so you can justify not doing it? But you never know until you try. You never know until you try. I remember my first sermon i still got my notes from my first sermon. On my notes, they're on little 3x5 cards, I misspelled the word Christian. If you can't spell Christian, you ought not be a preacher. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like a reasonable rule? You ought to go spell Christian in order to be a preacher. Okay, There are some things that just, uh, that's just the way it is. Okay, I put E-N instead of A-N. <laughs> I look at it now and think, what? what was I thinking? Most lame excuse of a sermon. <laughs> Pretty sad. Pretty sad. 
I tried. I don't know that I did real well. A few weeks later, I tried again. And a little while later, I tried again. And i got to say that I, I really... When I hear good preaching, it makes me look at my anemic sermons and really feel kind of bad. I, I, how many of you remember J. Vernon McGee? You ever heard J. Vernon McGee uh, through the Bible radio? Okay, I've heard J. Vernon McGee um, dozens and dozens and dozens of times on the radio doing his through the Bible. But I'd never heard one of his sermons in his church in Los Angeles until about two weeks ago. And I found a sermon on YouTube by J. Vernon McGee. And I sat there in my office just staring at my iPad thinking, that is amazing. That's brilliant. Dripping with biblical knowledge. More biblical content in one sermon than I've had in my entire ministry. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? Can I tell you what I'm doing? I'm doing the best I can do. I may not be a J. Vernon McGee. Okay? I may not be. I may not be a Lee Robertson. I may not be. I may not be a whoever you want to name that is some preacher that has just done an amazing, incredible job. But can I just say this? That if you wait to be the greatest of all time at anything before you ever start, you'll never be any of those things. I've been doing this for 30 years. I can't hold a candle to some of my mentors in the ministry. And I don't know that I ever will. But God doesn't expect me to be a Norris Belcher. God doesn't expect me to be a Lee Robertson. God doesn't expect me to be a J. Vernon McGee. God expects me to do my dead level best. And I really think that when I die, I can stand before the Lord and say, God, I really gave it my best shot. God doesn't give out that well done, thou good and faithful servant to those who become the elite. God gives out that well done, good and faithful servant to those who are good and faithful. So, okay, you're scared to try, but you never know. You never know. Until you try. Go ahead and step out on faith. Number five. Number five. If you think you can't, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right. You can't. Eleven men thought they could not walk on water. So guess what they did not do? They did not walk on water. Because they didn't think they could. There was one guy that thought he could. And guess what he did? He did. Okay. So you say, I can't really help out with the kids. You're right. Can't. Not going to work. I can't join in the choir. You're right. You can't. You can't. That's probably, probably somewhere in this sermon I ought to say that you can't do all those things. <laughs> right? But all of you can do all of those things. You're the body of Christ. The body of Christ has fingers and hands and arms and elbows and shoulders and necks and backs and legs and feet and mouthpieces and, uh, you know... And all of us working together get all of those things done. They, they do say the average church that you have 20% of people doing 80% of the work. And 
I, I would say in a church like yours, uh, just from what I've seen in two days, you've probably got 50% of the people doing all the work. You may have 60% of the people doing it, which is better than any church I've ever been. You guys are doing great. But there's probably somebody that their fear is just keeping them back. If you think you can't do it, then you can't do it. You can't do it. What did Paul say, Philippians 4.13? I can do all things that Christ would strengthen me. I can do all things that Christ would strengthen me. You can do things you don't think you can do. I'm going to give you one more point, and then I've got some concluding remarks, okay? One more point, and then some concluding remarks. My final point, number six, is this. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. If at first you don't succeed, try again. You say, wait a minute now, Pastor King. Now hang on. Because Peter didn't try again, did he? Remember how this worked out? Peter sank, and Jesus stuck his hand out and pulled him up, and then fixed all the problem. They went on their merry way. So Pastor King, Peter didn't try again. To our knowledge. Now, if I get to heaven and find out at some other point, he did it again. I'm not going to be shocked at that, okay? It wouldn't totally shock me if there was a, you know, 50-year-old, 60-year-old Peter one day and he's just out there on the Sea of Galilee all by himself and he looks around this way and he looks around that way he doesn't see anybody and says, let's try this again. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, there's no record of that ever happening. I'm not going to be shocked if I don't get to heaven and find out. Maybe he did. I don't know. But what I do know is this. What I do know is this. He tried something again. And he tried bigger things than walking on water. He tried bigger things than walking on water. Now, my concluding remarks are this. I've already jumped ahead of it because I get a little excited sometimes. I don't know if you all figured that out. But the first concluding remark is Peter never tried walking on water again to our knowledge. The second concluding remark is this. He found something bigger to do. He found something bigger to do. Now, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Okay? What would you rather have? Would you rather have a pastor that can walk on water or a pastor that has a burden to win souls to Christ? Wouldn't you say that winning someone to the Lord is a bigger deal than walking on water? Now, the world would love to have a pastor that can walk on water. Now, I mean, seriously, if Pastor Lejeune said, hey, watch this, and he came back through here and stood here on top of this water, said, ta-da! And then he said, I'm going to do that again next Sunday. This church would be jam-packed. But they wouldn't be here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'd be here because of the show. And there are a lot of churches that are really good at putting on a, a show. I read about a church a number of years ago, better than 20 years ago, had locked their auditorium down throughout the week because of all the setup work that was required to pull off their miracles on Sunday. Yeah. One of the staff leaked the information out and... Um, <laughs> Yeah. They turned their church service into a magic show. 
And everybody's like, oh, our church is miraculous. Your church is a fraud. It's a fraud. Listen, I'm, I'm thrilled that Peter walked on water because it really gives us a, a, a tremendous story to preach on about stepping out on faith. It gives us that. But Peter didn't try that again because it really wasn't necessary that he try that again. But what he did do is on the day of Pentecost, he preached before a massive crowd and 3,000 people got saved all in one day. That's better than walking on water for the rest of your life. So if at first you don't succeed, try again. But next time, try something bigger. Next time, try something more important. Next time, try something with greater value. So no, he didn't walk on water, but he did win souls. No, he did not walk on water, but he did preach the gospel. He did not walk on water, but he did plant churches. He did not walk on water, but he did write two epistles. He did not walk on water, but he did teach the Bible. And he did not walk on water, but he did encourage a lot of Christians. And you know what? If you can walk on water, it doesn't matter. I'm not impressed. But if you can sing in the choir, get up there, put the biggest smile on your face and sing for the glory of God and encourage your fellow church members sitting in pews. If you can walk on water, I couldn't care less. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not impressed by that. But if you can get out on a bus route and throw your arms around a little child who's had a really, really, really bad week and has been influenced by some things contrary to the Lord's plan, and you can shine a little bit of light in that dark life, I say, praise God, it's better than walking on water. So much better than walking on water. The last thing I wrote down is, what does it matter if you succeed at trivial things? What does it matter if you succeed at trivial things? You can walk on water, but that doesn't get anybody into heaven. You can walk on water, but nobody is truly helped by that. It's a great and wonderful thing. But has anything eternal happened in the lives of people? And I think there are a lot of people that they will um, get all excited right before a ball game. Oh, I'm going to hit a home run for the glory of God. Well... Okay. You know, pray before the game. God get glory out of the way I play today. Well, I think God might get glory more out of you teaching a Sunday school lesson today. And by the way, if you're going to play, play to the glory of God and behave yourself like a Christian ought to behave themselves. Kind of get an amen right there. But you know, it's a whole lot better that you devote your life to the things from the Word of God that truly have eternal consequences. I think what we do is we, we like to take our entertainment we like to take the fun things that we do and attach Jesus to it so it satisfies our conscience. You know, oh, I'm playing ball to the glory of God, but you're missing church. Well, yeah, yeah but I'm doing it for the glory of God. No, no you're not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Can you turn real quick over to John chapter 14? John chapter 14, let me give you this and I'll close. While you're finding that, let me just quickly review Excitement over Jesus has to be greater than your fear of drowning. Complaining about the boat and the storm do no good. The only thing holding you back is you. You never know till you try. If you think you can't, you're right. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Doing things you think you can't do. John chapter 14, verse number 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, He that believeth on me, The works that I do shall he do also. The next two words, and greater. And 
greater and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus said, I've done a lot of things my 33 years of life. I've done a lot of things in my three or so years of earthly ministry. But you know what? I am putting my work into your hands so that you will do greater things than I did. Oh my goodness gracious, what an incredible statement that Jesus tells us to do greater things than he did. Are you doing greater things than Jesus did? That's what we're told to do. He didn't tell us to take up 18 inches of pew space, although that is important in its time and place. What he's telling us to do is swallow our fear, swallow our reservation, swallow our inhibitions, and look up and say, God, here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. You know, when two armies are fighting against each other, you got bullets flying this way, you got bullets flying that way. When one army finally says, I'm not winning, what they do is they look around and try to find a white piece of fabric somewhere. They put it on the end of a rifle. They put it on the end of a tree branch or something. And they raise that white flag of surrender up and they say, I surrender. I surrender. You say, well, Pastor, doesn't that sound kind of cowardly to say, I surrender? Not if you're surrendering to the Lord. If you've been fighting against the Lord, He's been trying to get you to step out of your comfort zone. He's been trying to nudge you. He's been trying to push you just a little bit. He usually does it pretty gently, doesn't He? At least at first. But you've been fighting it. You've been resisting it. Maybe tonight would be a good night for all of us just to raise that, raise that white flag of surrender and say, God, I surrender. I surrender. I'll do what you want me to do. I will. You might not even know what that is at this moment. But if you will truly have an attitude of surrender, He will make sure you figure it out. Amen? He will make sure you figure it out. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I sure appreciate your attention. I've really enjoyed preaching to you tonight. It's been a fun sermon.